Welcome, Dave, to the World XP Podcast. Um, I appreciate your time. I know you're a, a busy guy with your uh, with your job, and then you're streaming on the side and everything. But we we're just talking offline about um, how it seems for me, anyways. Like I like when I first met you. Like I've watched your content before tons of times, and then um, I had another guy. It's Haber. He's a FIFA YouTuber. On it was the same sort of situation that you feel almost like you know the person already before you've even met them, and then. For you, I bet that's probably a little bit weird having somebody approach you like with all this background knowledge of, of you and how you are, your mannerisms and that sort of stuff, and you've never met them before in your life. But um, how how does that happen often for you that people kind of approach you in that way? And and if so, I guess we're I guess we're just jumping straight in here. But if if that's the case, how do you sort of handle that normally when when that happens? Well, I've had. I've had time to get adjusted to it, right? Because it was a really slow buildup of uh, people actually recognizing me kind of in the scene. Mm -hmm. um, it's always interesting. Like I was talking with you before, I follow a bunch of content creators and I feel like I know them better than, than they would know me if we were to start a conversation. Mm -hmm. So I, I see it from both sides and I'm able to adapt to that. So if someone's really familiar and it happens all the time, you know, people come up and, they send me a DM or they, they get in voice chat with me and they're super, super familiar. Like we've known each other for years. I have to remember that they have known me for years. I just haven't been acquainted with them yet. So um, it's, it's difficult to balance that, especially if you're not in, you know, maybe you've had a bad day or you're not in a good mood and mm -hmm. someone's poking fun at you or, or, you know, making jokes that only a really good friend would make you have to be understanding um, and you, you have to give them the benefit of the doubt. And I feel like just as a default, giving people the benefit of the doubt when you first meet them online, especially when I have a, a presence as a caster and as a streamer, it, it goes a really long way. Um, and it, it's super helpful for managing stuff like that. Yeah, I think it definitely comes on before we get, before we jump too into this, some background on on you and you can correct me if i'm wrong but um you are a twitch streamer and caster for age of empires 2 which is a real-time strategy game that it's a little bit different from other video games that you guys listening would know and love as it first came out in 1999 i believe is that is that correct that was the age of kings yeah age of kings yeah. yeah so it's been around for a very long time uh, and i think probably around what five to seven years ago it started to kind of die off finally uh, and then it's been kind of revived since then um, and you and some of the other casters that have been around for for a little while have kind of brought it back to life and the most recent tournament that you guys uh, hosted I guess would be Hidden Cup 4 and that just ended what uh, last week or two weeks ago and I think the final prize pool was what like 90 something thousand 90 something. it was above 90 and you're asking me when it ended and now my brain is getting all jumbled up two weeks I think it was two weeks ago is when it started Thursday yeah. two weeks ago yeah yeah so two weeks to the day actually so um two weeks from the day from when we're recording this but so can you kind of give some background just like you and and your sort of how, like if you were to give like I guess a, a short summary what would what would that be I started playing the game as a kid this is the TLDR version by the way <laughs> mm -hmm. started playing it as a kid in like 2001 got online in 2003 had to hide all my multiplayer gaming uh 
from my parents for about four years because, you know, back then, early 2000s, and you're a teenager, your parents don't really approve of that sort of thing, right? Yeah, of course. Um, <clears throat> Zone, Microsoft Zone got shut down. I was mostly a custom scenario player. Um, and then we kind of bounced around places until we got to um, Internet Gaming Zone, IGZ. IGZ turned into Voobly. Uh, and then spent uh, five or six years doing custom scenario there. And then I met um t90 who i called tristan's his first name mm-hmm. and we started commentating matches together he had a really small channel back then uh, we found that we enjoyed it and then i kind of branched off to commentate with other people via voobly official um some other channels and like whenever someone would reach out to me uh to commentate or cast games i i would say yes so i gained a bunch of experience and then it just kind of I don't know what to tell you. It just kind of grew. <laughs> it got to like, I, I'm, a lot of people, you know, if you ask Tristan, he'd say, uh, you know, his channel was planned and he was always looking for growth <laughs> and everything. And if you ask me, it's just kind of, I don't know. I wanted to be a good caster and now we're here. Um, yeah. A pretty good community on Twitch. I'm not a full-time streamer and I don't spend too much time there so i i feel really grateful that i do have the support i do and then uh, obviously for big events i'm one of the go-to guys so that makes me uh that makes me really happy yeah for sure i think you having that community goes back to kind of what you were saying about the giving people the benefit of the doubt and that authenticity that i think this the age of empires community given that it's we'll say so old in the technological sort of world given that it's so old it's something that a lot of other communities don't really have. And I think that makes it, it gives it a unique feel and a sort of a special feeling that when everybody gets together for, for a big event that the chat, like in other games, when you watch other games, you'll hear Twitch streamers be like, Oh, ban that guy is being toxic or this or that. You never hear that from you or, or Tristan or whoever in the age of empires community. Um, why is, why do you think that is, well, I think there's <clears throat> there's definitely people that come in that get banned. I think it's it's a bit different in T90's chat uh, mm-hmm. because we have a really good mod team and we have um, you know everything laid out for the mods and, and like a, a rule book and whatnot to follow. So everyone knows what's going on, and most of his fans are from YouTube watching casual content. So for Age of Empires, I think one of the big differences is that it can be played in so many different ways, right? You can play city builder. You can play with your friends on black forest, like 45 minute, no rush, slow speed, whatever the hell forest, nothing stone, nothing, bury nothing, all these uncompetitive settings. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you can get into ultra competitive stuff like we saw in, in hidden cup four. So there's a big variance across the scene. And I think that helps in, in like diffusing the toxicity in that you get all those sim city guys you get all the spirit of the law fans coming out of youtube that maybe don't play super competitively and they're mellowing out with the people who follow the competitive scene and mm-hmm. uh kind of mm-hmm. diluting that i guess you i guess you would call it toxicity in other games mm-hmm. um i think that term is kind of overused yeah but um like it's it's just a different beast like if you look at something like league of legends 
no one's going into League of Legends to go make friends with the other characters, you know? Yeah. They're going in there to, you know, work with their team to kill the other team. Yep. There's nobody that's going in there to make a town that looks nice. Maybe yeah. if like if Sims had a competitive scene, and maybe it does, maybe I'm I'm not familiar with it, but I would imagine that the atmosphere would be somewhat like AoE2 with a, a generally welcoming kind of uh, feel to it. So I think I, I get nervous when people use the lack of toxicity in our community as like a selling point, mm-hmm. because if, if you go down that road, eventually <clears throat> you're going to want to like maintain that level. Right. And you're going to go on witch hunts against people that are deemed toxic and and you're going to go down that path, which I think is dangerous. I think the way it is right now is pretty good. Um, And the way we keep it like that is probably having streamers just reinforce good actions rather than calling out overly negative actions. If you know what I mean? Like always typing a GG right? Mm-hmm. Always saying if an opponent, you know, if they get tilted in, in a match and they're saying like, oh, th- this game sucks. I hate this game. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Can't believe you went for that strategy. Adding a sentence afterwards that said like, GG though, I, like he, he beat me fair and square. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's kind of, it's a really tough tightrope to walk. And I just took that conversation to 15 different places but i hope you understand what i was trying to get at definitely it makes sense and and the reason why i bring that up specifically is because the the two games that i play most are age of empires and fifa and those are polar opposite ends of the spectrum when you get online like i (laughs) i used this example from from fifa last year i was i don't know how familiar you are with, with the game but there's objectives like it'll be like oh you have to score with a french player or something and so I was through on goal with the French player and the dude just quits the game like dashboards. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, why did you do that? And he said, cause you didn't deserve it. And that was like, that was the end of the conversation. <laughs> see, like, see, like, that's bad, but also makes me laugh at the same time. Oh, it, but it, it like, it's funny. Right. But at the time I was, I was so tilted because it was the last one that I needed. And I was like, Oh my gosh, are you serious? Whereas I feel like in, not that you, I don't, I feel like you wouldn't see something like that in, in AOA too. Yeah. It's, it's hilarious. Like now when I tell the story, it's really funny, but like, um, I, I messaged somebody in a game of FIFA the other day. I was like, Hey GG. And he responded, you're awful. And we tied and that, but like, that was it. And so where in, in, in AOE, it's like, you'll get that like tilt, but you'll also get like the, yeah, fair enough. Like good game. Mm-hmm. And so for me to experience both that end of like the you're awful end and like the also like make sure that everyone says GG is like, it's refreshing for me, yeah. but. And you'll still, you'll still get guys like that. And if you go on the team game ladder and start random queuing by yourself, you'll get guys like that. You'll oh, get I'm, people I'm that's, sure. that are signaling their base like a hundred times, right? I, I actually really enjoy getting team with people like that because I, I mess around with them. You know, if they're like <laughs> signaling on one side of the map constantly mm. and telling me to do some bullshit, I'll, I'll be signaling on my side of the map and like question marking and chat or something like that to try and, you know, yeah. drive them over the edge. But yeah, of course, 
I don't I don't think you're ever going to get rid of people like that. It's just yeah. as long as those people don't become the majority or, or yeah. a good they're never going to be majority but a good percentage. I think we need to keep it below like 5% of the player base mm-hmm. um, being dicks like that. And I think in Age of Empires we're well below that right now, so. Definitely. I think you guys do a good streamers and like when you guys are playing or casting, I think you guys do a good job of, of, as well of like most of you guys are fairly level-headed and mm-hmm. you don't rage at the game and stuff. So that helps as well. Um, I also think another thing that helps with that is a lot of the people that play or there's a sizable portion of the community that grew up playing it and they grew up playing it as like this, like the city builder, like you were saying earlier, or like the custom scenarios and where you can just mess around with the game and it doesn't matter if you win or lose, really, you're just having fun. Well, I, I wouldn't. That's... I wouldn't say that about custom scenario. Well, well, <laughs> let me rephrase. The most toxic area of the game is custom scenario. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go that way. <laughs> let me. Let me rephrase then. This like when you build like for me like I would go build my own scenario and I would say oh how would it work if like some spirit of the law type stuff where I would say I would put like a hundred champions and slay like oh I wonder how they do against fifty paladins or something like that. That sort of area of the game um, is more about just like having fun rather than winning or losing i feel like that's something that in the gaming industry as a whole i don't want to say esports has ruined gaming because i think that's not that's a blanket unfair statement to make but i also think there's some aspect of that that's true i don't know what do you think about that um hmm in terms of like the hmm, yeah, that's a difficult nut to crack right because there's mm-hmm. so many different factors going into it i think the broadcasting of esports has especially with how fast chat goes Mm -hmm. has encouraged people to just type whatever the hell they want and they have Mm -hmm. the anonymity and they have the free reign to do it because they're not getting you know punished for it yeah um and they hop between chats which creates this atmosphere of just a wall of negativity um, you see it in a, in a lot of stuff. We saw it a bit in the Wallalo tournaments as well. Like the Red Bull chat is a lot more unfiltered than uh, our chats are traditionally in age. And it kind of upset a lot of us uh, that were casting. It, it didn't really get into my skin because I've seen it all before. And, you know, Tristan's seen it before. But mm-hmm. like, <clears throat> it's it's disheartening when you see so many negative messages Um uh, in that sense. And it gives you this idea that you're doing worse than, than you actually are. Right. So I understand that point of the, the esports of once again, ruining, you know, yeah. gaming. Um, yeah, I, I, I see that. There's also the, the fact that um, so many of the major esports that are out now, like the whole game is tailored around being an esport, right? Mm-hmm. which is what age of empires is not it's it, right. it's just a good game and you can have one portion of it be competitive and i think you know like i mentioned before that that's what keeps our community feeling good with the good vibes and the good streamers and you know the the wholesome kind of content yeah i think also i'm not i'm not sure how i feel about that to be on like the that thing to be honest but as far as it ruining, I'd like to think things out sometimes with like on like during the podcast with whoever's there, because usually they tend to be, um, we'll say 
an expert loosely <laughs> um, in whatever the subject is. So it's like, I like to like pick their brain and ask their opinion on, on different things. Just so like I can, I use this as well to learn, to learn for myself. Um, like you get to talk to cool people. You learn new things all the time, but um, I want to shift gears just a little bit and, and ask sort of how did you get into casting in the first place? Cause that's not something that like you're growing up, Hey, I want to be an esports caster. It's like not really a thing. So what sort of like sparked your interest in that? And then how did you sort of get in, get into that? And then like where you are, where you are now? Well, I was, that's a good question, actually. I I think I got into it because I was one of the only custom scenario players that was willing to do it. Um, We were having tournaments and we wanted, you know, we wanted people to watch instead of just, uh, the hundred of us custom scenario experts that were there um, watching each other, watching recorded games. We wanted people to be able to enjoy and we wanted, you know, the broadcast with a commentator over it that knew what they were talking about so that in years to come, we can go back and and reference that. Or, you know, if you're Mm -hmm. um, drunk on a Saturday and you get home from the bar and you want to watch your highlights from four (laughs) years ago, which I don't lie. Every age of empires player that's ever been in a tournament, you've done that before. Don't lie. I know you have. Um, (laughs) And uh, so I got into it and um, you know, like, like most things, if you're halfway good at something and you get positive reinforcement from people telling you you're good at something, then you're more likely to invest, you know, you're more likely to invest time to get better at it. And I found that I really enjoyed it. Uh, I had positive feedback. So I kept commentating on custom scenario uh, events. I made my own YouTube channel um, and uploaded videos very, very rarely, but um, still kind of practicing that content. Um, and then I got into the random map scene in 2014, 2015 with a tournament called War is Coming. And mm-hmm. I got really into that. Like I I dove from not basically not knowing anything about random map or the competitive scene at all to like following every player within a few months. And um, <clears throat> because I was already affiliated with that Vubli official team doing custom scenario events, I kind of shifted over to do random map events at which point I met up with um, T90, who had maybe, you know, under 100 followers on his channel. Mm-hmm. And we found out that we meshed pretty well together. And since then, it was like every big event that he was casting, I, I was part of it. So real quick, for my own understanding and misuse of the term earlier, what is custom scenarios in your, in like, what is it? So custom scenarios, basically you can, you can make through the editor, you can make any, any kind of map that you want within limits. Right. And Mm -hmm. people made some really, really interesting and competitive maps early on uh, in MSN gaming zone. And we had four dedicated custom scenario lobbies and they were always full, always full on the zone. Uh, 300 people per lobby so it's a decent you know a decent player base mm-hmm. and like with anything it gets competitive and you figure out better ways to you know beat your enemy or 
play the maps and new maps are constantly being developed. So it was like its own little scene unto itself that mm-hmm. a lot of the, the mainstream of our community weren't familiar with. Um, and I, like I said before, I got competitive in that. All the top custom scenario players know each other just at like all the top RM players know each other. And uh, yeah, it's it's really hard to explain if you don't have experience watching it. Like I can't mm-hmm. explain individual maps yeah. or, you know, how we choose our settings or anything like that. But just know sure. that it was it was very competitive to us. Um, and it was just kind of like a micro version of, what we see today in the random map competitive scene. Gotcha. So how is that different then from like how there's new new maps released for Hidden Cup or is that kind of very different? different. So what's the difference then? Because I think Tristan was talking about how he's working with the map team to create new maps and and that sort of thing. So were, were you guys doing like crazy wacky stuff with yours or can you kind of go into the difference a little bit? Um, custom scenario, you wouldn't really have an economy. So like most of the maps, it would be, um, let's say each person has a base, right? Mm-hmm. You have a building that if, if the building dies, you die. So mm-hmm. kind of like a sudden death kind of thing. And then you have, um, units at the back of your base. If you put the unit on the flag, it creates 40 of that unit. And there's like gotcha. 10 different units you can create. If you get raisings, you upgrade stuff. Like it's completely different absolutely completely different from our competitive scene right now the maps that they're creating Mm -hmm. um and that they're talking about is scripting so they'll script something for random map generation so let's say they script a new arabia version um you're still going to have a main gold and two secondary golds uh but if they change the scripting a little bit suddenly your main goal could vary five tiles farther outside of your tc Mm-hmm. Or you could have an extra wood line, or your sheep could be closer to your starting town center, right? So um, they're doing the random elements. Our maps were very, uh, like, they were always the same. They'd, they'd never change um, unless we made an edit, and then you'd have to re-download that edit. Gotcha. They'd be stagnant, stagnant every single time. Gotcha. That makes sense. One thing you also mentioned was that you meshed well, with Tristan, that was something I was going to ask you about um, at some point. But did you guys, was that like the chemistry was there from from the get-go? Or because when I watch you guys cast now or when I watch the games now, the chemistry you guys have is is remarkable, obviously, given that you've been doing it together for a while. But it, was it was it always like that or were there some growing pains with, with that? Oh, there's, there was growing pains for sure. Mostly, mostly on his end, I'll say. <laughs> I like to think that I've, I've been a positive social influence on, uh, on T90. He was, uh, I, I think he would agree with me if I said that he was a bit awkward at, throughout the first few years. Um, but he loosened up over time and, you know, we get a, we get a feel for each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like anyone that you cast with you know it's going to be difficult the first few times but we've done so many events like probably hundreds if not thousands of events and i know we've done thousands of games mm-hmm. um and thousands of sets so it's it really really builds up and by the time we get to like a finals of hidden cup four it's i'm basically on autopilot um, yeah if i'm in the booth with tristan so Gotcha. One of the things that I thought or that I found interesting is every 
couple games, I I feel like you'll notice something that's like when you're casting with him, I'm like the viewer is just watching sort of his screen and what he's watching. Are you looking elsewhere? Because there'll be times when you see, hey, did you see this like random thing? Like you'll you'll find like a glitched deer in the corner or like something like that. What are you guys, what are you looking for that's different than than his? And have you worked that out like beforehand or does that just come with the experience of casting together? I think he just trusts me. <laughs> if you like, I always say if you if I were to stream my point of view on a cast. Mm-hmm. My viewers would be so mad. They'd be like, what <laughs> are you looking at? Why are you in the corner of the map? Why are you clicking a Jaguar 300 times to figure out what noise it makes? Like, <laughs> I'm just, you know, I, I'm just in the game and uh, having a good time, basically. Um, like I said, I'm kind of on autopilot when you're, when you're commentating what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. And then your mind is thinking about what could happen, um, what situation both players are in the random little things like, you know, a villager going to the corner of the map that maybe Tristan didn't notice. Right. I'm constantly looking at the mini map to, to see stuff like that. Cause that's, mm-hmm. that's my role, right. As yeah. a co-caster is, is to notice the one-offs that I know he's not going to be paying attention to. Mm-hmm. But it bugs you when there's like a palisade wall that somebody built early in the game and it's just like the other team's color. And oh, you, you, you keep I'll, looking. <laughs> I, it bugs me if I'm a viewer and I tuned in halfway yeah. through the stream, but if if that's early in the game, uh, it will register in my mind and I'll always yeah. keep it in my mind as a palisade. I really like, I, I'm different from a lot of other people in our scene in that I like to feel the game, mm-hmm. right? I, I, I don't like all the number crunching. I don't use capture age. I just kind of, you know, I didn't like the Observer for Red Bull Wallow 3. I really did not enjoy that. Um, I I just like to be in there and Mm -hmm. do my own thing because that's how I've operated for, you know, since 2001 when I first got the game. I I felt everything out. I haven't done the math on units or anything like that. I've just, I just know what's going to happen. So when I'm in the spectator mode, when I'm in the game, that's, that's where I'm in my natural environment. And for those listening that don't know what capture age is, capture age is sort of a spectator tool that does all the number crunching for how many resources the players have or how much HP the units have. And you can kind of do like how many villagers they have, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And it gives a good, when you're watching somebody cast a game, it gives a good overview of, where the yeah, game it's a, it's is a, going yeah it's a great program and mm-hmm. I, I enjoy some of the features of it it just doesn't it when i'm in it it takes me out of that element you know where i can feel what's going on yeah it, it's it's really hard to describe but it's kind of like huh, what would be a good example like let's say you've played soccer for 20 years mm-hmm. and then suddenly you show up at the the soccer field and it's fake turf Mm -hmm. instead of real grass it's just gonna it's gonna feel weird right and you're not gonna be able to play it as well um so that that's just kind of where i'm coming from yeah they've done a great job with that program like fantastic job no it makes perfect sense what you're saying i if something's like this off from the way that you've been doing it and how you kind of approach a certain situation it's always gives you a little bit of a second thoughts or pause or 
think, oh, do I have to be worried about this other thing that I'm not normally worried about? And so it, it always gives it's for almost any situation, I think. So yeah, that makes sense for sure. Um, when you started casting, was it something that came naturally to you or was it something that you had to, to work on or sort of walk, walk me through like, was it similar to public speaking and how some people hate it and then they learn how to do it or some people are just naturally good at it or like walk me through that sort of that sort of process for you? I think there are people that are naturally good at it. I think um, I'm one of those people that's naturally good at it. I don't think T90 was one of those people that was naturally good at it. He's really had to work at it, which mm -hmm. I really respect him for because uh, it was something he wanted to do. And actually, I shouldn't say he wasn't naturally good at it because he was always a good caster. It was just kind of that loosening up mm -hmm. element um, that he really had to work on and like adding things to his vocabulary that he really had to work on. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I, I think I've always had a, a natural talent for that. As far as improving, that is a constant struggle, right? Mm -hmm. I'm constantly thinking about uh situations from previous tournaments you know I, I think about tournaments from three years ago where i said something and what i could be doing differently like constantly it's running through the back of my mind so that's how i improve mm -hmm. um, every caster has a has a different method for doing that i know nilly is very methodical he'll mm -hmm. he'll write out his goals um he'll watch previous casts and say like i need to change this by this date you know, mm -hmm. or I need to hire a, a coach so I can get my pronunciation correct mm -hmm. um, for this word. And chat, please help me out with any words that I, you know, didn't quite say correctly or any sayings that didn't come out correctly. Um, you know, memb, I think, is more energy. Let's let's just add more energy to this, um, which suits him very well. And Tristan is a big time grinder, you know, put the work in, mm -hmm. watch other streamers that do similar things, um, take inspiration from them and, and kind of mix it all together into that, that one piece. Right. My style, like I said before, I just think about it constantly. There's not yeah. too much execution for me. You know, I, I show up at the big day and that's it. That's about it. And hopefully <laughs> I've been, I've improved from the last time, even though I haven't put any reps in since the last cast, but uh, I put a ton of thought behind it. So, um, and the, you know, like when I'm driving, I'll, I'll rehearse lines that, sure. uh, you know, that I think might come in handy later. So maybe that's practice in its own way, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely something I've worked at to improve, but I definitely started out at, uh, I think, a higher level than than an average person. Mm, that makes sense. Do you guys, like, not counting Hidden Cup, especially the last day, because I think everybody was exhausted, but if you guys have, like, a show match or something afterwards, will you go, hey, maybe we should have done this better, or you guys have sort of, like, a hot wash, I guess would be the term, or you guys go in and say, hey, at this situation, I wish we had done this, or I wish we had done that, or does that not really happen too too often? Like, take me sort of behind the scenes from when we don't like when we don't hear you guys or we don't see you guys. Like, how does that interaction work? 
So <laughs> it used to be that, you know, Tristan and I would hang out for an hour after each cast and just chat with each other, but we don't really have the time for that anymore. Mm-hmm. So it uh, doesn't happen. I think if something with me and T90, if something that needs to be said or mentioned afterwards happens, we'll usually message each other within a couple minutes um, with the same topic, like at the same time, we'll say that shouldn't have happened. You know, and I see T90 is typing and he hits enter and it says that shouldn't have happened. So we're on the same page. We don't really have an issue there. Um, And then with other casters, uh, I haven't really had that communication behind the scenes, like after events. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it basically just happens with me and and maybe that's why we have such good chemistry together because we're constantly communicating about stuff like that gotcha that makes sense as well do you when you're casting kind of do you have like for example when you know when you know the player so not counting hidden cup like when you know the let me backtrack a little bit when you sort of jumped into the random map scene and started to meet some of the like the high level like viper and doubt and mbl and all those guys do you first how did that go like were they as you expected based off their like off what you had seen on social or not maybe social media but like their interactions in game or like over different streams or videos were they as you expected them to be and then too did you have you sort of developed relationships with them off off camera as well like do you go i think like gamescom maybe or some of the other events like do you get to meet do you get to see those guys in person really that much given that they're all from god knows where in the on the corners of the earth but do you guys do you like have you had a chance to sort of develop relationships with them as well well i met mbl before he was a top top player uh, he was in the same group of friends that I met Tristan through. We had mm-hmm. like a, the TeamSpeak, Voobly TeamSpeak server that we used to join. Um, so MBL, I have a, a really good relationship with. Uh, he's probably, you know, he's probably my favorite pro player to watch. Uh, mm-hmm. And he's the one that I probably know the best. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty close with MBL. The other pro players are basically exactly as they are online like the exact same presence and that's one of the fantastic things about um this game is that everyone is who they seem to be and that's going off of me only ever being to one one lan event by the way i've only ever been to nac3 oh wow Uh, yeah i i was you know 2020 was a really big year for me Mm-hmm. Um, I went NAC three, we had hidden cup three, which shattered records. Right. We had the Red Bull events, which I was part of, um, you know, the two V two world cup, uh, the, there was a DM world cup mix in there. Like there was tons of events where I was in the finals, mm-hmm. um, or in the semifinals doing, doing commentary. But before that, it was really only like me and T90. And then I would occasionally get invited to other stuff. I was a very, like, I was, I played, I think, a secondary role in a lot of people's minds. So I didn't get invited to those type of events um, because I didn't have my own channel. 
I was kind of like a co-caster and right. not someone who could bring new fans to the the scene, right? Um, but yeah, going back to your your original question, um, I did know Viper before he was a pro player. I did play custom scenario with him. That's a little tidbit that maybe you didn't know that he was a custom scenario no, player as well. He played Lord of the Rings maps with his brother Damrod, and I'm, I was quite close with his brother Damrod, so that was a good in, and Viper and I get along really well. Um, and uh, other than that, yeah, all the other pro players have just been, I either met them at NAC3, mm-hmm. or I've been on voice chat with them, played a couple games with them, or just commentated their sets. But for the most part, our community... Every caster, every player um, is who they seem to be, which is really fantastic. Good, and maybe this will make more sense with sort of the disjointed question of it, but when you're casting somebody that you know, is it does it make it more of like, I don't want to say harder or easier, but do you get into ever get into like coach mode almost where it's like, oh, like I know this person, I wish he had done this here because I want him to win this one, or is it easier for you since you've kind of met everybody to remain sort of impartial or do you ever get like thoughts of like oh I, I like I wish my friend like MBL you know him the best you're like oh, I wish he was going to win this one and I wish he was doing this like does that ever like come into to play at all yeah I think it's I think if you're a, a good commentator you're always going to have favorites mm-hmm. um, and that's because you care about the game right mm-hmm. if, if you don't have favorites like you have no passion in my mind if you don't have favorites behind a set like you've got no passion for the game and you shouldn't even be there i don't care how good your your commentary skills are you shouldn't Mm -hmm. even be there right but the the key as a commentator is to try and keep it neutral um a lot of these the sets that i cast luckily it 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 is neutral because the players are kind of you know same level of favoritism for me but if mm-hmm. I'm casting, you know, a set with MBL in it, then I really have to be cognizant of not cheerleading or coaching. Yeah. And even bigger than that is if you're casting a set with a big underdog, because as mm-hmm. a caster, you want to play up that underdog role, but you'll find yourself only pointing out the good things that they do and only the mistakes from the player who's favored it, um, which is is not a good route to take. And it's, something that uh as commentators as casters we really have to work on and i find myself you know checking up every five minutes or so like how how many times have i said this player's name and how many times have i said this player's name because if it's a 30 to 5 ratio then i'm doing Mm -hmm. something wrong right right gotta make it as close to 15 to 15 if we have 30 Mm -hmm. times instead of name as possible right so is that one of the things that you're just like as you're in the set commentating that you're just kind of like feeling it out or like how like when like you said you're cognizant of it but like how does that how does that work for you like do you have a little voice in your brain that's like hey make sure you're doing this or yeah it's uh it's it's a really weird thing when you get into a cast it's it's a weird kind of mindset you get into because there's one part of your brain that's watching the game there's Mm -hmm. one part of your brain that's commentating on the game and then there's one part of the, your brain that's reflecting on the commentary that you're doing watching this game, right? So it's like you're you're in this weird kind of zone where you're not really thinking, you're just reacting to stuff. Um, and that third 
portion is is the most difficult to keep going. The one that's analyzing what you're saying mm-hmm. and um, making sure that everything's coming out the way you want it to come out. And that's the that's the part that reminds me every five to ten minutes that I need to balance out my commentary. Um, yeah, I'll do that as well. Even recording podcasts, I'll find myself like thinking about the question that I just asked if I could have worded it better, and then I have to like yeah. bring myself back to whatever the answer was was. And sometimes that creates. I think a couple episodes ago, that created a problem for me because I had um, some immunologists on and who are like very like in the vaccine field and like the cancer field, very, very smart people. And if you're not really paying attention to what they're saying, you will just get lost immediately. (laughs) And I was like, and I was like, wait, what did I just ask? Like, should I have done that better? And I like, I came back and they were talking about like, he was making a analogy about cars working and not having wheels. And I was like, what did I just miss? And like, I had to like bring myself back real quick. So then, but yeah, so I found myself doing that as well, but for uh geez i can't even imagine for casting because it's live like with with a podcast like this i can go back and watch it and say okay that's fine like i could have done that better or oh nobody will probably notice that or something like that but with you guys it's live and oftentimes it's way longer than like if a podcast lasts an hour or an hour and a half or whatever but you guys are on stream for like five six seven hours sometimes yeah Yeah, it gets uh the long ones get tough um it's tough in the mornings, especially with, with European times, you know, I got to for a hidden cup or for Red Bull, I got to wake up at eight, start mm-hmm. at nine. Right. And then we're out of there at like seven at night, <laughs> just yeah. kind of nonstop verbal garbage, just spewing constantly. Um, so it gets, it gets very tiring. And, you know, the first hour you're not really in it. Mm-hmm. And then from hour two to six, you're on, and then after that, it's just a slog to get to the end, right? Yeah. And, and unfortunately for me, the end is usually when the final is happening or when the most important game that everyone is going to watch is happening, right? So you really, mm-hmm. really got to key it in um, for that. It's funny you were mentioning, you know, kind of phasing back in your discussion with the immune, immunologist. Mm-hmm. I can't say that word, but I'm going to try. <laughs> you say um, scientists, that works too. <laughs> that yeah the disease scientists yeah there you go <laughs> yeah um, it's funny you say that because i find myself doing that all the time like if you if you rewatch games back um you know my co-casters sometimes will ask me a question and i'll just be like yep <laughs> and that's me <laughs> in the corner of the map somewhere you know <laughs> not paying attention or like analyzing uh something that i just said and thinking about how i can you know phrase it better or um do it better for the next time that I have the same point. And suddenly I realized that they ended that uh, sentence with a question mark and I'm just kind of left there with nothing. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's definitely a difficult one to multitask. I think I don't really, there was, I think during, during hidden cup, the semifinal day, the Saturday, I think there was, one part of my brain that was like, I wonder if they do this. So I like paid attention for probably 10 minutes. And then I was like, nah, the game is too good. I'm going to go back and watch the game instead of paying (laughs) attention to what they're doing. But I think you you guys hide it at least pretty well. So that's good. I feel like that's something that comes with experience and and time and just like hours put into, to your craft. We have, we have mechanisms for that. Me and Tristan, and I, I, 
don't know if like there we haven't written them out anywhere but mm -hmm. there's certain things that we do, you know, where if a silence stretches, he's really good at this. If if a silence silence stretches for more than like two seconds after he's made a statement and I'm not talking, um, he'll go on to a different topic because he knows that I have nothing pertinent to say there, and anything mm -hmm. I'm going to say is going to be just fluff that doesn't doesn't mean anything, right? So we might as well move somewhere else. Um, there's also a thing that I do where. I, he says something and I just go, mm-hmm. And that that's the same, that's the same thing where I don't want the silence because I feel like we've had too much silence. Mm -hmm. But if I say mm-hmm, it's kind of a message to him, like I have absolutely nothing valuable to contribute to this. And it would be doing a disservice to the audience for me to say anything right now. So I'm yeah. gonna say, mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's go somewhere else now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's uh, he's been well, both of you, I think, do a do a really good job of bouncing stuff off each other. And he'll like, now that you said that, as far as him switching topics, now that like I'm remembering some of the games, see, I, I phased out when you were talking to remember some of the games. I remember times when he did that, when he'd be like, yeah, what do you think of this, Dave? And then there'd be like two seconds of silence. He'd be like, all right. And also this thing over here is <laughs> happening. Yeah. One of the, one of the biggest, um, you know, things that I discovered early is that the key to a good co-caster and this isn't necessarily a main caster but a co-caster thing uh you have to know when to shut up you know mm -hmm. you have to know what what your role is and and when to stop talking because there is such a thing as too many words um and people just want to enjoy the game they don't want a constant stream of nothingness coming out um and i think we've done a pretty good job of that uh, me and him as a parent we're not afraid to just stop talking for five seconds at a time we don't have to fill that empty air we have enough experience where we're not uncomfortable with that anymore definitely that's that's one the silence thing is a one i feel like is probably one of the more difficult things whether you're casting or on a podcast like this or commentating on anything it's being or even just like public speaking in general being comfortable with a couple seconds of silence and mm -hmm. not not feeling like you have to fill it with um or mm -hmm, or any number of i don't know whatever those whatever those words fluff words i guess you could say um i forgot where i was going with that I don't know. This is where this is where if that happened on the cast, you know, a lot of commentators would be like, you know, you don't have to fill with fluff words. Oh, here come the archers, here come the scouts. He's going this way. If he pressures, it's gonna be really like they just fill that in with a bunch of random stuff, right? And uh yeah, mind it's not super necessary. So thanks for the save. Um You're welcome. <laughs> when you got into the random map sort of scene how long did it take for you to figure out like the best strategies or the, like the, the meta, so to speak, how long did it take you to figure out and like really be able to wrap your head around why somebody sent the archers over there or why somebody sent some, someone to stone early or why somebody like went forward with militia or whatever, whatever the case may be. See, I was never good with builds. I, I never even like, other than, you know, send the first six to sheep and then boar and then three on wood or four on wood. Like I never really paid attention to that stuff. 
Um, and that was coming from a custom scenario player. Um, when I started commentating pro games, I kind of had to. I didn't enjoy it, but I, I know how builds work in a in a rough sense. And then, you know, I as I got better at random map, I just kind of picked them up as I went along. Um, but still, most of what I feel I bring to games is um, a good feel for things like momentum, things like um, map control, things like game sense, rather mm-hmm. than you know the early part of the game where where the builds are laid out beforehand. You know, you're gonna have a 19 pop up or a 20 pop up. Like I know that stuff, but I don't really care about it. Yeah, so let me rephrase. Extent. Let me rephrase then, because I'm I'm going to sort of the game control. I guess you could say it like how because when I watch, I can say, okay, well, this person looks like they're winning, but I don't know. Like when it looks to me like an even game, you or Nilly or Tristan or whatever seem to have a good idea of who's got the momentum. How I guess how did you figure that out? And what sort of things do you look for in that sort of when you're making that determination? That's I I can't answer that question. I don't oh, know. <laughs> I don't I experience. I don't know. I mean, you have to remember that I spent like so when when we're talking about fights or like map position, I spent you know 15 years of my life inside custom scenarios playing with nothing but military and military buildings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and not touching economy at all. So I have a really good feel with like how, even with the new units they added in, um, I've got a really good feel with w- what units are going to win fights, how many you need to win fights, how many trebs you need to push down a castle, if there's villagers repairing, you know, stuff like that. Um, and it just all kind of adds together. And I'm sure that the thousands of sets that I've cast have helped me as well gain a really good sense of of what's going to happen in games because i've literally i haven't seen it all but i'm coming close (laughs) to seeing (laughs) everything that's possible right yeah i would say so So it's kind of just almost like a gut feeling at this point when you're Mm -hmm. like you eyeball a fight and you're like well it looks like it'll probably work out in so and so's favor yeah and i think that's like going with your gut is a really important part of this game um, you know, we have so many videos outlining math and, and, uh, you know, builds and everything like that. But I feel like going, you know, just getting that experience and then going with your instincts is a really potent weapon here. And we can see that from players like doubt, mm-hmm. you know, he's got 20 years of experience doing it and he uses that to take him to a higher level than players that may be faster than him or may have better execution, or maybe know all the stats on every single unit, right? He just kind of mm-hmm. feels his way through those situations. And I, I think it's really, really important, especially in a game with so many so many factors. You know, n- n- average game length is 30 minutes to 45 minutes. And mm-hmm. that's a very, very long time for all these different variables to come into play. You know, the random maps, the different types of units, the... 30 what 38 civilizations we have now 36 i i don't even know something like that i don't know anymore (laughs) either (laughs) too many not enough fingers on my fingers and toes to count them anymore um there's just so much variance and the game can go so many different ways that i think uh 
trusting your instincts is really, really, and having confidence in yourself is mm-hmm. a super understated um, point of success in yeah. this game. You can tell that almost also, I think, for doubt specifically by the amount of times that he doesn't get forward castles up, and that's why that meme came. But I think it's sort of the same. He like felt like he didn't do the math in his head real quick. He was like, I feel like I can get this castle up, and then it didn't happen. Uh, no, his no forward castles for doubt, and this is <clears throat> this is something that a lot of like casual viewers won't understand. The forward castles are usually, if it's a serious game, it's in a response to a situation where he feels like if he doesn't get that castle up, he's going to lose anyway. Hmm. So he sends them forward, and he takes that you know twenty percent chance. He sees it in front of him that there's a twenty percent chance to get back into this game. And he reaches out to grab it. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, right? Gotcha. The, the, the bad forward castles from him are when he's clearly winning in a game and he still sends the villagers forward, but you won't see that type of stuff in tournaments. You only see that type of stuff in ranked games where he wants yeah. to finish it off quick, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Do you have, when you're watching... I'll use hidden hidden cup as the example. When you're watching the players, do you have a good feel for kind of or a favorite sort of style for? Because I know like in hidden cup, for example, you'll you'll hear or you'll see in chat like, oh, this is definitely a Vietnamese player, or oh, this is definitely a European player based on how they play. Like I can't tell the difference to be honest, but can like can you tell the difference between those and like what are sort of little tidbits here and there that you look for? And then do you have sort of a, a favorite or one that you like more? I know that's a lot of questions sort of packed into one, but. I kind of, I appreciate all the styles to be honest. It's just, it depends on the day for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't usually like the overly defensive style of like building up army at home and and walling off and stuff. But when I see it executed perfectly, like Hera does, then I get excited um, because it's clearly on another level uh, than the other players who, who are playing like that in terms of like identifying players. Hidden cup is always difficult for me because I don't, I'm usually working through the first two days. So like, I don't get to see, Mm -hmm. I get to see like one off sets. Right. And, and I think this year I streamed on the the Friday night after the first two days and I made my predictions and, you know, my chats roasting me and whatnot. It's like, (laughs) boys, I had to work two days and I had this on my second monitor. You're like in the screen paying attention to everything (laughs) that's happening. Right yeah of course you're and and plus your your opinion is not going on the record your opinion is a one-off in twitch chat you know and no one's gonna find it again yeah yeah no one's gonna go cross-reference what you said when there was thirty-five thousand people watching and typing you know um but hidden cup i think certain players are really easy to spot um nbl is easy to spot traditionally uh vinchester was so obvious unbelievably obvious this time around um and then players like even players like tato are pretty obvious like super solid going for strategies that might be out of the box or civ picks that might be out of the box and then having good execution but obviously not the tippy top level of execution right so you'll mm-hmm. see Tato with like fantastic micro with his crossbows, but you won't see the same level 
as a Leary or a Hera or a Viper. And he's like one millisecond off of those. Yeah. Um, and it kind of gives, a, along with all that other stuff, kind of gives a good indication for him. As far as the players in the middle that aren't like those top four guys or aren't unique like Vinchester or MBL, it gets pretty pretty tough in my opinion. Yeah. I never, I never understood how people were able to guess. Like when I would look at the only things that I like knew to look for were stuff because they turned into memes and, and Twitch chat. Speaking of, I don't want to, I don't want to say you are a meme, but in T90s chat, you're kind of uh, like the Dave mute thing. I hate that. I hate that so much, dude. I hate it. I hate where, it. I hate did, all the memes around me. I hate them. They're awful. Where did that one specifically come from? Because I don't, I wasn't aware and I just saw it a whole bunch of times. I mean, this is, this is just more curiosity from me at this stand, at this point, because I went into the chat and you weren't even casting. It was the second day, like Nilly was casting or something. And nobody said anything for probably like five or 10 seconds. And the whole chat just went Dave mute. And I was like, what? I, I don't, I don't remember where that came from. Maybe hidden cup one hidden cup one maybe hidden cup two maybe i think it's hidden cup one i don't know i don't know dude <laughs> hidden cup two maybe i don't know that one's annoying um the dave left his wife at the mall it was stark <laughs> it was stark dropping his wife off at the mall so he was a little bit late for a set and somehow that turned into <laughs> i left my wife i've never been married at the mall so that one's a bit annoying and then the uh dave mom's one is really gets on my nerves that one uh that one's annoying Jeez, i didn't like i never like i've never been the subject of a meme so i guess i want them there was a meme back in the day of me and t90 in a tournament game and i carried him to victory and everyone would spam the petard emote and say, um, T90 is the barrel, Dave is the dude. I want that <laughs> one to come back. That Why did that one have to die? And all know. the other ones survive, you know? I want that one back. I don't know. Maybe next event we could get a hashtag bring bring <laughs> Dave carries T90 back or something like that. Yeah. How How does it, like, when you see a meme that you're the subject of, does it really just depend on the content on how you feel about it or... Are you kind of like, how does that make you like you see it pop up and you're like, I feel blank. It depends. Right. Cause if you think about all of them, like the wife at the mall, whatever, that's uh that's, that's just, I, I get mad because it, there was like no context for it. Right. It was yeah. Stark going to pick his mom up or his wife up from the mall. Um, the next lever meme, I mispronounced the word once and there was a meme about it. Uh, the Dave muted meme gets on my nerves because we need accurate audio feedback from the chat. Um, sometimes, especially during big events, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as like in Red Bull, if the chat is spamming Dave muted and we have a production company behind, they're like furiously going through all their stuff, right? <laughs> like, is he actually muted? It's just, it's fine on my end, you know? Yeah. Um, which is annoying. And then the mom's one, I like I said it as a one-off, like everyone bring your moms. We need more viewers for Hidden Cup. And then it got turned into some like sexual. I that actually. Yeah, it, it got turned into some sexual thing. And I remember I, I saw people commenting on Twitter, like how it was like misogynistic and stuff like me. 
and and it's it was a it was a meme created by other people (laughs) completely out of context so that one that one kind of bothers me you know and um other than that like i don't know having a meme about you is just kind of irritating rather than anything it's not flattering it's It's not weird infuriating it's just kind of irritating yeah i i mean they seem to love you for the most part besides that thing is out of Mm. love mostly (laughs) but i mean i don't know i don't really know um you mentioned earlier that you weren't full a full-time streamer so one i guess is that sort of a goal of yours or and then two how do you juggle that with your with your day job wouldn't you don't have to go into that but how do you juggle the time for that because i feel like you stream enough to be a like a sizable chunk of time and obviously you still have your day jobs how do you kind of juggle that yeah i stream about i think about 40 hours a month around there Mm. apparently not enough to get my partnership application accepted but (laughs) you know (laughs) i stream yeah about that and then i work nine to five um so it's uh it's difficult because you know a lot of my viewer base is european so they want me to stream good times for them and meanwhile here i am starting up the stream at 5 30 est right right mm-hmm. as they're about to go to bed yeah and i don't really stream i don't plan to stream that much on weekends because that's my time off from my regular job yeah so it's kind of difficult uh in terms of the the full time the only formula which would have me going full time is if I could fill my days with stuff that I enjoy without making it a chore. Right. Yeah. So age of empires, I've, I've really stayed away from streaming too much age of empires because I still enjoy the game and I don't want to make it work for myself. Right. Yeah. I don't, don't want to make it into something where I feel like I need to be doing it. Um, and I'm not enjoying myself and suddenly the game I've been playing for 20 years is not the game that I want to play anymore. Uh, so that's, that's something that I, I, I try and balance. And that's the reason that like, I'm not, I don't play one V ones anymore. I don't play team. I don't play anything on the ladder anymore. Um, on mouse and keyboard anyway, <laughs> only on my yeah. controller. Um, because it just, it wasn't feeling fun anymore for me. So why, why force it? Sure. Has that created sort of a, it's like a, I don't want to say forced, but like a, you've purposefully stayed away. So you still enjoy it. And that creates that, that love for like when the finals of an event and Tristan's like, Hey, can you spend all weekend casting this with me? You're still like, yes, I'm good to go. Yeah. I I think Yeah, I mean, I'll always be up for for the big events, right? It's just mm-hmm. about the the time in between the big events, because um, like Hidden Cup Four, there's no way I would say no to that. <laughs> yeah, but generally, <laughs> like if if you had say gone like full time streaming like a year ago, and you just been like, oh, I don't want to do it. And he's like, Hey, can you take all of your free time for this weekend and spend it with this? Be like. Not that you would have second thoughts, but you a little like a part of you would might be like, Ugh. a part of me is always like that. No. Even before, no. like even before <laughs> well, big events, enough. it's kind of like it's weird because like even before the Hidden Cup Four finals, like I, every day 
or like Red Bull or something, I wake up and I'm just kind of like, part of me says, just send a message and say that you're sick, right? Because I, yeah. I don't want to do it. And then I kind of have to force yourself to get on and do that that work. And then once you get in the flow of things, it's perfectly fine. So um, I think there's no world in which I would decline that invitation. <laughs> sure. Um, That's good, though, that you have that like um, awareness about yourself and that you're kind of like good with where you're at as far as time time management and time balance about how much you spend on the game, how much you spend streaming and, and stuff. I think that's something that a lot of um, people my age and younger sort of struggle with, especially now going into like just getting out of college and then COVID hits and then it's kind of like, what do I do with my time? Um, but it's, a, it's definitely a learned, a learned skill. I think um, you mentioned playing age of empires with your controller, with your Xbox controller. How in the world do you do that? Because I watched one, I watched like a little bit of one stream where you were doing it. And I was like, mm, I, have, I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, first off, it's a PlayStation 4 controller and not an Xbox controller. That's my wrong mistake. on my Wikipedia page. I need to, I need to correct that one. <laughs> um, but yeah, the controller thing was just kind of a byproduct of me you know, one of my big beliefs with streaming and with commentating with everything, I don't, I want to be a content creator, not a content replicator, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like, I don't yeah, want yeah. to do the same stuff that other people are doing. So like, if you, if you go to my stream, I'm playing, you know, I'm speed running the game, uh, which not many people do, or I'm uh, playing on my controller, or, you know, I'm playing GeoGuessr or, or something different from all the other age of empire streamers and the controller was just kind of a byproduct of that me looking for ways that i could potentially handicap myself um and like interesting things like i could do with the game and i set up the controller and it just kind of i didn't expect it to win a game i expected to be at 600 elo at the bottom of the barrel right and then i got on and i won i think three out of my first four games And I was just kind of like, well, wait a second. And then, (laughs) you know, all of a sudden I'm up at 1100 and I'm up at 1200 and then I'm up at 1300 on the ladder, which is a rating that a lot of people like struggle really hard to achieve. And I'm just kind of thinking this feels really good. You know, I can, I can sit back like this. I put my feet up. I got my controller, you know, I'm not hunched over my keyboard clacking away. I'm just kind of chilling out. And uh, if I lose, who cares? Because you should have beat me every single time you're on a mouse and a keyboard and I'm on a controller. Yeah. And if I win, that's like, that's so much energy, right? I just beat you with an inferior device. Yeah. Um, How does the clicking work on it? I just, I've just mapped it all to, uh, to mouse and keyboard. So like, um, I think I have it here. So like, this would be like scrolling the map. And this uh-huh. would be like controlling my mouse. And then, you know, I have all the hotkeys gotcha. um, pinged to stuff. So now that I have the muscle memory for it, it feels really natural. It actually feels kind of weird for me to get back on mouse and key um, and play mm-hmm. the game. But uh, yeah, I, I want someone else who's decent. I know I've had a, a few viewers take up controller because they're interested. They, they want to try it out for themselves. But I want someone 
who's decent at the game to try it and put some time in just to see if I'm actually really good or if everyone can get to that level, right? Because I think I, I maxed out at 1520 or something on 1v1 rating on controller, which I that's never high. thought I'd get to. Yeah. And uh, that's like top 3000 on the ladder. So I was pretty happy with that. But I want to see if like every player around my level could get on controller and get to a similar similar uh, rating. Who knows? It could be an idea for another event like controller yeah. controller cup one well they, they you know they keep suggesting that but then i hit them with the uh who's gonna admin the tournament is everyone gonna have to stream with a with a camera showing their controller and like are we gonna put time limits in case people are really bad and i don't have to sit and watch the game for three hours you know yeah that's true how does the um how does the admin like for the tournaments work is it all is it microsoft now at this point or does it depend on the event? It depends on the event. So Robo um, was hired as a Microsoft tournament uh, advisor, overseer, whatever. But up until then, uh, there was no official there there was no official position. So it would only be Microsoft feeding money into tournaments, basically, and they wouldn't handle any of the admin or gotcha. the organization. So um, would- so. Would you guys handle the scheduling and everything and like the prize pool and everything else or like did not us not like it once you get into the bigger events that doesn't happen but when you look at the smaller ones um, a lot of the times the the streamer organizing is handling that kind of stuff um, but I haven't had to handle any of that since custom scenario days so luckily i've you know i didn't enjoy it at all i hate i hate organizing with players (laughs) i commend every tournament organizer out there because it is a pain and uh, i never want to do it again (laughs) (laughs) all right i think we got like i think i got one or two more questions and then and then we can wrap it up i know you're probably busy um the balance within the game itself is something that I think is not super easy to achieve just from um, not even like a development standpoint, but also it's, it's very rare. I feel like that you can use every single civilization and not be obviously in different situations, but and not be punished for it and not have one. That's like, yep, that's the one that mm-hmm. um everybody's going to use regardless of scenario like i think one of the original devs was on a podcast like a couple months ago for the original he was talking about the original like age of empires one and he made a civilization where the villagers cost like 35 food i think and he went to the first event and he was like every single person picked that civilization yeah i watched i watched that interview actually yeah i've watched all of those they were fascinating yeah they really were but it got me thinking like this game there's not one civilization that you would say like yep that's the best one like they're they're all good enough that you can go outside of the box and win with and like in high level tournaments we saw it in hidden cup with a bunch of like bulgarians i think or was it i don't remember which one somebody won with one of the lords of the west one on arabia and i think everybody was surprised but anyways how given that they continue to add new civilizations like what's your feeling on like when they patch it, are you worried that they kind of will, that they might mess it up or like, cause it seems to have achieved a very good balance. 
I'm always afraid that they're going to mess it up. Um, <clears throat> but they've done a decent job so far. I think my main concern with it is that there seems to be a lack of actual playtesting, and the playtesting comes along once the patch is live and it hits the ladder. Like we've seen so many things that it makes me question whether they have a quality assurance team at all. <laughs> you know, like the Malay uptime bug. Yeah. Like did did no one go through and click the feudal age with Malay and see that it was at 166%, you know? Um, but that that's neither here nor there. In terms of the balancing <laughs> for the civs, uh, I think they've done a decent job. And I think it's hard the way the game is set up to completely destroy the balance in one go. Um, because the civs are so similar, right? We're not talking about StarCraft, where each civ has a fundamentally like different skill set. We're we're talking about Age of Empires, where the the tech tree lines are more or less similar, um, and the only differences you'll see are in some upgrades or maybe some unique units. Uh, so, add add to the fact that uh, random maps are are random um, mm-hmm. and you get a game that that's hard to destroy easily um, with balance changes. Now, that being said, stuff like the step lancers when the game first came out is, are things that we need to enjoy because that was humans when they were first released is probably the most overpowered civilization that's ever existed in the game. Um, yeah. And I think the devs learned a valuable lesson <laughs> from watching step lancers just completely destroy everything yeah definitely i had um i had a video game designer or developer on the podcast not too long ago um and he was telling me it was for i forgot it was like the game was called paladins i think kind of like overwatch um but he was telling me whenever they release a new character into the game the amount of testing that goes into it he said they found one bug where it would be invisible, but only with the Portuguese language pack on a specific map. Mm-hmm. And it's like the amount of things that they have to go through to like figure out all the little bugs. And I know like the Malay uptime bug, but just to make a game that balanced with all the things that they have to worry about is just like remarkable to me that that they achieved that. Yeah. Yeah, I think overall the dev team has done a pretty good job and I'm really thankful that they're still working on the game. Um this long after it's been released i thought we would have updates for max a year and mm-hmm. then they would cut it off but they they seem really committed and you know that that's pretty good for our scene as far as like the civs changing all the time i think we could uh do with a little less and they've definitely backed off they're making you know adjustments every two months now or every three months rather than every single month which is great in my opinion and uh, as far as new civs go, I think we're already, we probably already have five civs too many. So we yeah. should uh, kind of chill. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I think once you lose count of how many there are in the game, <laughs> I think yeah. it's probably, probably a good place to stop. Um, last question, then I'll let you go. What do you hope for like the future of Age of Empires, both like the community and then the game itself? Um, what is your like, if you had to project like three to five years out, like where, where do you hope it, it goes? It's funny. Cause I've been doing this since zone shut down in 2006, mm-hmm. right? Like you, you said um, earlier, I don't know if it was on air or off air, but you said, uh, you know, 
we kind of were reviving the game when it was dying in 2013, 14. It was dying in 2006. People thought it was dying. It was dying yeah. in 2010. People thought it was dying. 2013, people thought HD was going to come in and steal all the users and it was dying. You know, the new expansions for HD come in, people thought it was dying. Um, you know, I've seen posts in the last year, people think it's dying because they show, you know, summertime player base for DE is lower than the wintertime. Wow, who would imagine that? <laughs> yeah, you know, but I, I've kind of already, I've kind of already seen the the cycle before, and a lot of the pro players have, a lot of the um, streamers have. So we don't really get too upset about about stuff like that because um, we've seen it go up and down and up and down and up and down. In terms of where I want to see it in three or four years, I think if we still have dedicated servers for Age of Empires 2 DE in four years, that's a huge success. I, I, I think as long as they can keep those servers up and running, there will be people playing the game. Um, mm. And even if they shut down the servers, people will migrate back to stuff like Vloobly um, or Game Ranger. People will find a way to play the game or create their own new client. Um, <clears throat> and then, of course, with Age of Empires 4 around the corner, what I want to see from that it's just a game that I enjoy to play. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not sure it's going to be a super competitive esport. Uh, I don't really know too much about it right now, but um, if I were Microsoft and I was looking at the player base for Age of Empires 2 and I was thinking of a game to make money off of, I would not go towards that competitive aspect. I would mm -hmm. go towards the more casual base because that's obviously where the majority of people sit. Um, and that's where I feel like age four might be trending to rather than a, a super competitive game like age two might be. Mm, good. Well, hopefully, hopefully it does go that way. But yeah, fingers crossed, man, that we'll still have the servers and all that. I think, like you said, though, people will find a way to play. And I think this is might be one of those games that sorts of that sort of turns into a um like a generational type game. It's like people will see their, their parents play and they'll pick it up um, and it'll have, it'll continue to have sort of a smaller, smaller, but I guess more dedicated base almost, but yeah, man, it's been, a, it's been like an hour and a half. I, I really appreciate your time. Um, it was great to have you on and I'd love to have you back. Maybe you and Tristan at some point and to have a, to have a good conversation. Hopefully, hopefully we can make that happen at some point, but who knows? Yeah, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for the time and good luck on your good luck on your channel and your journey. To yeah, the world. Yep. <laughs> we'll see where it goes. Like you said, uh, we don't we don't really know. I'm sure I'll just end up somewhere one day. Yep. All right. Thanks for your time. Bye, everybody.